In the spirit of reconciliation, Sister Luna Podcast acknowledges that we live, work, and record on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which include the Siksika, the Kainai, the Pekani, the Satina, and the Ashe Nakoda Nations. This also includes the Métis Nation Region 3 and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You're listening to the Sister Luna Podcast. I'm your host, Madeline, and this is my co-host, John. Neither one of us got a last name this week. Madeline Rose and John... Is also here. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Probably for the best, because I was going to make a dick joke, so yours was better. Oh, no, hit me with it. I mean, it's not good. Hit me with your dick. I mean, Johnny Longcock? Something in that in that area is where I was going with it. All right. <laughs> BDJ. What? Uh, big Dick Johnny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we are off track already. That's very strange for our podcast, which is always professional. <laughs> this one is going to be strange in general um it is something that i think we both intended to do way early on in the lineage of this podcast do not attempt to adjust your television (laughs) (laughs) you are entering the twilight zone exactly I mean, it's not that Twilight zone It's just, I think since the first episode, we have assumed a general understanding of the audience that you were the one that knew everything and I was the, the know-nothing dum-dum who was just here to... The straight man. Yeah, crack-wise and not contribute any kind of knowledge but we never actually established your knowledge base but also that turned out to not be the case because you did end up having a lot of knowledge about like early civilizations and latin america in particular so it did come into play i've done what i could yeah but um right now right in this episode i think we again are going to do something that we should have done a long, long time ago, which is to introduce you, Madeline Rose, the... Hello. Our our priestess, our magician, our... You're making lots of faces. I feel like Daenerys Targaryen, (laughs) like the long names, all the honorifics. Mm-hmm. The mother of seeings, the... <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't no, mean to encourage a... it. Right okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because you do have a long history of learning about and being a practitioner of various um, magical arts or... How would you describe yourself? What what's your uh, what is the ty- the Daenerys Targaryen title that you would give yourself? Well, when I was a small child, I recall watching the movie Fern Gully. <laughs> you know, with the bat who's been like tested on, sure, batty, yeah. and like the little fairy girl and like the lumberjack who gets shrunk down real small. Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> Um, watching that as a kid, my witch mom, who you probably heard on Conversations with the Crone, the Mother's Day episode, literally watching that show as a child, she was like, pay attention. This is important. <laughs> Especially the part where the old fairy is teaching the young fairy how to like make the plants grow. Mm. Like there's a part where she puts her hand over the little seed and she says, help it grow. And then you watch it like sprouting and growing. So the fairy is like giving it her energy to make it grow. Sure. Literally watching that, my mom was like, pay attention. This is important. <laughs> like, yeah. This is what you need to know. So, yeah. 
I mean, I didn't grow up in like a strict, like religious Wiccan household or anything. My mom's practice is not like that. It's not sure, obviously. Strict, I mean, and it's from, not, yeah. yeah, it's not like even necessarily regular. It's kind of more of a lifestyle than like a religion. Well, hold on. Without even getting into that, the question that I asked you is what would you consider your title to be? My title? Your title. I mean, witch, I guess. Witch. I wouldn't really go beyond that if I was going to be titling myself. Okay. Other people that you and I have practiced with multiple times before, have they have called me priestess, but I wouldn't mm. necessarily choose that mantle for myself. Yeah. It's more I, that I, I, I just have, have a leadership you... personality, so I take control and exactly, make, it, yeah. make it all happen a lot of times, which is, yeah. I have heard folks refer to you as priestess, as uh, diviner, as reader, as... Well, I did, yeah, I did read professionally for a number of years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I guess that's accurate, like... Sure. Reader, fortune teller. Reiki master, I have a level three Reiki, so you could call me that, I guess, if you wanted. Yeah. Healer, I think I've also heard you refer to as. That's like a more broad application of the Reiki, but combining with the herbalism. I have a number but, of degrees from Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess according to you, though, you would say witch. Yeah. So this is the interview with the witch. Hello. <laughs> Woodcarver! Um, That's a brave reference for you brave fans out there. <laughs> you, uh, you started to get into it um, just now, and we talked a bit about it. Uh, talked a bit about it in the interview with the Crone episode, but I get the sense that your understanding of your own lineage is different from what your mother put forward. Yeah, yeah, I was misled for a long time because she made me believe that my great grandmother, whose alias is my middle name, which is Rose, which my whole new brand is all based on that name, mm -hmm. which is again, it's my name, like it's my middle name. Yeah. Um, and it was my great-grandmother's name that she went by. I was under, always under the impression that her and the rest of my Guido's family were not only from Ukraine, but were like nomadic Romani people. And in talking with my mom again about that more recently, it's, she, I don't know. Like when I initially asked her, she sounded so sure in a sense and also she encouraged me to call my baba which is my late Guido spouse mm -hmm. so she her family is not the ukrainian ones it's not the romany line like she, she married my Guido. she married into it okay yeah and but he was passed by this time yeah and so i called her and asked her about it and she said oh they were gypsies mm -hmm. and then that was it like she didn't really have anything else to tell me but then in talking to my mom, I'm not really sure. It's all very vague. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'll never know completely because there's no way in hell I'm giving my DNA to Ancestry or sure, yeah. some other bullshit DNA company um, for phrenology research. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but I'll still practice Ukrainian folk magic. Like... Yeah, so Slavic, you, Slavic folk magic as well. Do do you feel that you have that like epigenetic attachment? Yes, to I it? do like, because even my mom is a very talented palm reader, and palmistry specifically, mm -hmm. even compared to other types of divinatory readings, is very like steeped in Romani and Indian culture. And again, the Romani people came initially from northern India. Right. Like yeah. originally. And then they, traveling all throughout Europe, you know, the culture changed very much over a period of years. Mm -hmm. But I mean, over a period of centuries, rather. Yeah. Um, but again, originating in northern India where palmistry is 
lot more common than in other parts of the world. So it makes sense. And to think about the fact that my mom was drawn to that and was such a natural at it, it almost feels like an argument to the validity of the Romani connection, but it's certainly nothing that could be like set in stone, you know, mm-hmm. it's just assumptions. So do you think that the, like the genetic connection there is important? Um, not necessarily. I believe that if, if you, if your family is very steeped in their culture and their heritage and you know what it is, then it's definitely interesting for you to dive into the historic traditional practices of your ancestors, Mm -hmm. like your actual blood ancestors. Like that's interesting. Yeah. So why not look into it? It's kind of the way I approach anything with witchcraft. Like if there's a book, why not read it? Maybe you won't like it, but maybe you will. Mm. So yeah, but also at the same time, I wouldn't insist that anyone's magic has to be influenced by their DNA or their cultural heritage. Right. And I think that is something that a number of young witches in particular might be a bit like anxious about is um, whether or not they have a right to um, kind of dip their toes in. I guess in your case, it is like Romani influenced uh, magic. Um, the thing is that if you're going to attempt to practice the magic of a, of a culture that you may or may not be able to trace your heritage to, you should not start with the magic. Like You should start with trying to understand that culture. Try to understand the context in which the practices that you're observing existed within. Because divorcing the practices from the setting is when you get appropriation. If you at least don't disconnect the history from the practice, then you're at least seeing a fuller picture of what you're doing rather than... Like, I've seen people arguing for non-use of ogham and, like, other Gaelic things. Like, they're claiming, you know, this is a living culture, we're still here... We still speak Gaelic. Like, you can't just show up and, like, start staining. Right. Like, because people were talking about smudging for a long time because, obviously, indigenous practices have been culturally appropriated to the fucking nines. Absolutely. To the point of Palo Santo and White Sage being endangered species. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've seen people online getting jumping on there when people are suggesting instead of smudging with White Sage, which is culturally appropriating native culture oftentimes then instead do seining, which is an ancient Scottish practice, which also involves burning herbs, different herbs, usually juniper, um, and sometimes other herbs as well. And it also involves um, asperging, like cleansing with water. Right. Um, And then other people arguing against that, saying no, like seining is also a living practice. So Mm. you also need to pay it the same respect as, like you can't just exchange one for the other sure um and in a sense i can be sensitive to that and i would think that anytime you're going to collect an herb for use in ritual practice or any type of plant or animal for that matter that you would be seeking you know permission Mm -hmm. to do that and i think that that's the root of a lot of these is like for example with seining ancient scots believed that juniper shouldn't be cut that that was an insult to use iron on it because iron was like against magic right so that if you wanted to use juniper for your seining you should pull the entire plant oh and then wrap or or use the entire plant like that whole plant rather than cutting it and like harvesting and going on hmm because again, iron was considered like an insult. Sure, yeah. So by that measure, in theory, if you could manage it, you could like break off a, a branch, but a green branch is tough to break without a knife. If it's a dead branch, then it's easy to break, but mm. a living branch is tough. Right. 
I mean, pulling a living plant out of the ground is not easy either. No, <laughs> that being yeah. said. Especially a juniper. They're pointy. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's this, like, I don't know. The n- people that I've known personally who are indigenous and do try to, like, create, recreate the practices of their ancestors as best as they can. From my experience, coming to those practices with respect, with an open mind, wanting to learn, wanting to fully understand what I'm coming into, people are quite welcoming in my experience. Certainly. But it's when you are deciding, well, I'm going to go to Whole Foods and buy a white sage stick, that's insulting because this is a white-owned corporation benefiting off of the culture of Native people. Yeah. That's a... I mean, follow the money. It's just like anything else, right? Yeah, and I, I think we're both kind of of the opinion there that like go to the source, go like exactly. But I mean, and we live on a land where genocide was absolutely like committed, and so I mean, we just have more evidence of that recently. Exactly. Yeah. So it does kind of like behoove us to um, pass on those traditions or to like recognize them and appreciate them. Yeah. Um, but with the permission of the communities. That, uh, exactly. But also I want to point out that elevating the voices of the people whose culture you're talking about is of paramount importance. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a number of white people, especially younger white people who will actually end up drowning out the voices of the culture that they claim to be protecting with their over-the-top, like, whatever, I don't even know, like, white guilt (laughs) business, like, coming in. I've I've seen it a number of times. For example, I was in a group on Facebook that was called, I think it was called something like Bisexual Witchery, I don't know, I don't know. Something like that. Something about yeah. being bisexual and a witch. And I was like, hell yes. And I joined it. And then in that group, it was so toxic. Like, anytime you posted anything, people would just be getting on you saying, like, you can't do this. And again, it's not, like, real. I don't know. Like, somebody pointed out, for example, like, you shouldn't address chakras because that's Hindu. And hmm. I got on the thread and I was like, I just finished a yoga program in India where I was specifically taught that chakras are not related to Hinduism or any religion and that they are they just exist. And if anything, you could categorize them as being part of the philosophy of yoga, which is very specifically not a religion. Yeah. You know, and I tried to give this very factual, measured response to this insane thread that was happening and people lost it they they like freaked out and then another post on the same group later was a woman where who was saying a friend of mine who is american indian that's what he identifies as that's what he asked her to refer to him as yeah american indian had given her, I think it was a dream interpretation or something that she had shared on the post and mentioned his heritage in the Mm -hmm. post. And there was all these comments on it saying, you can't say that, you can't say American Indian. And it's like, (laughs) she pointed out that the person she's referring to has asked to be referred to in this way and you're just drowning out his voice with all of these like self-righteous bullshit comments. And it's, very I'm tired of it I'm really fucking I'm tired of both though I'm tired of Louise Belcher is my spirit animal and I'm tired of the other one yeah they're both awful I mean one's worse like the Louise Belcher is my spirit animal is worse because it's not even well-intentioned but both of them are trash um well and I I didn't even have this like written down in my outline of of this conversation but um, you did mention it just now. Um, you are a yoga teacher. You are a certified yoga teacher. And I think that is 
probably the most, not the greatest, like one of the most significant examples of a religious or spiritual practice that is largely stripped of its meaning. It is, yeah. um, Certainly in contemporary, like, North American um, practice. Yeah. And I know that one of your intentions in, like, being a teacher is to kind of restore some of that or um, honor it in some way. And so... I feel like it's my duty. Like, there'd be no other moral way for me to teach it, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And again, like, we've been unfortunately in a pandemic since you've been certified yeah. <laughs> um but do you think that is possible do you think it's possible to yeah i think it's absolutely possible i mean people are not stupid mm -hmm. they're capable of absorbing new information so i mean some people will intentionally avoid learning it i i mean i wouldn't deny that but i don't think that it's impossible to teach it to people in context um like for example the first yoga video i posted on my new youtube channel included the very first sutra collected by the sage patanjali hmm. which basically translates to now we begin the discipline of yoga. Right. So it's kind of perfect for being before a yoga practice. But also my intention has always been to include the next sutra on each video that I make. Mm. Um, and I think that's very important because when I first started practicing yoga, I didn't even know what a sutra was. Like I had no idea that there was any connection between the stretches and this entire philosophy right yeah. and i missed out you know like it would have been such a richer practice for me if i had that the knowledge of that context and these like you know this ancient wisdom that goes along with it that's interesting so would you say that like I like I I would say that a lot of people probably have that same experience where yeah, it is especially um, here. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say once you and again we've been in pandemic so you haven't been able to develop your practice once you do is your intention to like put that like to be upfront about the spiritual practice or to instead like let people come in and then like give it to them mm, it's i don't know I, that's a weird way of phrasing that i feel like my two intentions with teaching yoga are to make yoga accessible to everyone instead of only to people who can afford to pay like $20 a class or whatever mm -hmm. and then also to reconnect it with with its roots and with um, you know teaching it as teaching the whole picture rather than just teaching the asanas mm -hmm. yeah I think that is pretty important I think um as you've told me before, like you intend to like teach people who are in prison and people who are otherwise kind of like on the outside of regular society and without having to subscribe to religion, it does give them a certain discipline. Exactly. It provides a discipline in a similar way that martial arts do, where you need to focus you need to focus on your breath you need to be able to meditate you need to align your body with your breath and be in connection with your body listening to it understanding it trusting it developing strength and grace and flexibility but also like you can't do one without the other if yeah. you're practicing yoga in my opinion like it doesn't make any sense i honestly feel like if all you ever did was stretching and asanas, even if you can do half crow or fucking handstand or what, I don't care. You're not a, practicing yoga, not really. Mm -hmm. Like if you've never stopped your mind the whole time you're doing it, it's not yoga. It's just stretching. It's just showing off. Like it's 
not the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> Is that what you asked? No, no, I, I think that absolutely makes sense. Like, um, I don't know, without like getting too into it, but like, that is why I consider myself like a spiritual person without necessarily being religious. Um, yeah, and like that's exactly, I feel like if I was, if I made an advertisement and I said I'm yoga class this, t- this time at this place and mm. someone shows up and they're like, why are we chanting the Om? Like, why are we meditating? I thought this was yoga. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, it is yoga. <laughs> you can leave <laughs> if this is not what you wanted to sign up for. Too bad. Move on. There are uh, plenty of studios that want to, you know, take your money. So go to those. That's, uh, I didn't expect us to be actually talking about yoga at all in this, uh, this conversation, but I'm glad that we did because I do think that I think that your philosophy around yoga really is harmonious with the way that you practice magic in general. Yeah, it all lines up quite succinctly, even without needing to make a lot of adjustments for it. It kind of just... Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that makes you start to believe that, you know, maybe there is such a thing as an as an energy center on the body maybe there is such a thing as like an energy center on the earth like maybe ley lines are really a thing and maybe chakras are really a thing not that i ever doubted it but it just feels as though it's presenting evidence for something that you already intuitively knew before it's harmonious yes just as on our previous episode where we were talking about the crossroads and the legend of Hecate. Mm, and yeah. there's so many legends that center around crossroads. Yes. And it's like, yeah. well, the simplest explanation is that the crossroads really are a center for magical shit to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Truly. So it does feel like that to me. So learning yoga and becoming a practitioner is one of the most like recent um, endeavors on your magical journey what would you say was the the earliest one what was the I guess origin experience that you had in in practicing magic well I have a very vague memory of I think we may have talked about this before I'm not sure but I have a vague memory of picking a bunch of flowers from the garden and putting them into a bottle with water and sometimes with like alcohol like I was trying to make I called it perfume but truly now that I've you know done my herbalism and everything I realized I was making a flower essence yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) and so I was like five or so maybe when I did that like I was little and then when I was a little bit older like seven or so that was when I started making friends with like the woodland creatures right like I had a pet squirrel and a pet blue jay who I'd named who I fed peanuts to one time I convinced the squirrel to come into the house and I was feeding it peanuts and then my mom saw it and she screamed <laughs> <"Not mad at me." laughs> um it's funny given her uh her, her mystery, description of magic yeah. and, and how her history of pet raccoons yeah yeah <laughs> um and then later we had a dog and like we always had a cat it's not like I didn't have any pets I just wanted more I wanted wild animal pets. (laughs) You were the Disney princess that was also a witch. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. It's interesting that your first magic experience was in the... I don't know if you would categorize that as alchemical. Because it it is a transformation of... Well, in herbalism, though, alchemy, now it's been, like, redefined, and it's its own practice of, like, I don't really know anything about it. I learned very peripherally about it at the last herb gathering, Um, Western Holistic Herb Gathering. There was somebody doing alchemy there who I didn't get to go to their class, but I heard about it from someone else who had been. And I think, I believe it's like a practice where you don't waste anything when you're using a plant. Like if you, yeah. Like, so for example, if you were to harvest a dandelion, like we 
made wine out of the petals recently. So you would do that, but you would also make salad, but you would also make like dandelion root coffee or something. You know what I mean? Right, okay. Like that's, I believe, something along the lines of what the new alchemy definition is. Sure. But it is kind of interesting that one of the first magics I worked was a flower essence because it is kind of skirting the line between herbalism and like energy work. Mm -hmm. Like, Absolutely. It kind of straddles those two modalities, which are both two that I'm certified in now. So it's kind of funny. Yeah, that that actually that's interesting as well because like those are modalities that you are the most like learned in. But I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the most that you've actually like practiced would be divination. No, you wouldn't be wrong in saying that because I practiced it professionally for so long, right? Yeah. Um, and it was lucrative and it was something that I was very confident in, like yeah. something that I had a natural knack for that was revealed very early on in my life. Again, like teens is mm-hmm. when I started realizing like not only did I do the nerd thing and like sit down and over the course of a few months memorize the meanings of all the cards, I also had a very loud intuitive voice so i yeah i practiced that from like age 16 pretty consistently for i mean almost 10 years yeah i mean i wasn't reading like for money when i was a teen a lot but i was still reading a lot like for myself and friends and family and stuff yeah and then i um started reading professionally with the wandering gypsies when i was like 18, probably 1918, something like that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, like, the specifics of, like, symbology within, like, T-shapes and within, like, palmistry and with cards, those are all learnable. Yes. Like, the... The symbols, the specifics are all things that you can memorize. But even if you memorize all of them, if you're never brave enough to let your guard down enough to peer beyond the void, you will never be a good reader. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you develop the intuition? Well, at the start, first thing you need to do is start listening. Hmm. And so if you're kind of, you have a moment where you went into your kitchen and you're like, oh, I forgot why I came in here. And you're just kind of standing in there being like, huh. Then you get a thought in your brain that says, you should make tea. And then your response is, I don't want tea. But your mind is still like, no, yeah, I think you should make tea. Mm-hmm. Then you should just make the fucking tea. Right. <laughs> like, just listen to the intuitive voice in your mind when it's telling you to do random shit like make tea or drink water or go outside or whatever it is and then the more you listen the louder it gets Mm -hmm. and you start to be able to recognize it better as if it's the voice of someone you know like if someone you know phones you and they don't say who they are you still know their voice sure right so it's the same thing with your intuition when you start listening to it you keep hearing it more you recognize it and so then once you have a good understanding of you have a good relationship with your intuition divination is a pretty easy like sidestep into that where whichever modality it is that you choose whether it be cards or you know tea leaves or coffee grounds or whatever or palmistry it's all just a doorway (laughs) it's all just a way to trick your brain into allowing it to receive these different layers of information that normally you block out. Right. In danger of sounding like Joe Rogan. (laughs) Um, If someone's ever done... I would hate it if we had his... His listenership. His listenership. If you've ever done LSD or mushrooms or some other Mm. type of hallucinogenic drug and you... You, it kind of suddenly blows your mind because your mind is so much more open, it's so much wider, you're getting all this information, like too much to process sometimes. And you have that experience of like, it feels like you're seeing everything at once. Yeah. And it just blows your mind. That's a little 
like that's your brain with no filters protecting it from this information and that's the experience Mm -hmm. and so divination is when you you access that same experience but in a more controlled way like in a way where you set the terms you know you give yourself the opportunity to kind of stand behind things like symbols and archetypes and you know steps in a ritual or whatever it is that separate you from the like complete onslaught of that information all at once yeah but still gives you the opportunity to kind of dip in and like take what it is that you're looking for okay you do need to drop your guard a little bit like because the reason why we only have that huge like galaxy brain like the meme when we're on drugs is because if you had that all the time you wouldn't be able to survive Mm. like you would die you'd get eaten by a tiger or like hit by a bus or something like you sure, wouldn't yeah. be able to just like be a person yeah. and survive in the world it needs to be kind of like in a controlled environment exactly. or you have to know how to control yourself with it yes that's what i mean and so then the control comes from not if you're going to be a psychic reader it doesn't come from just blocking it out all the time it comes from knowing how to put up and remove the blocks into that Right. That well of information where people keep calling it, you know, like the Akashic records or like past life readings and shit. And it's like, okay, I don't know. Like anytime I see that, especially when I see the same phrasing over and over and over again in ads and groups and like stuff, I just start to feel like so hard to know. Mm. Who is genuine and who is full of shit? Like, who's right. just picked up on the keyword? <laughs> like, who's just figured out the algorithm and is just, like, posting shit? But, um, yeah, like, I think the, like, buzzwords like Akashic Records or Past Life Readings are so popular now. And it's like, well, it, it's both of them are really playing to the ego. Mm. Like, your past life. You're so special that your own life, your own egoic story that you have in this incarnation isn't even the whole thing. You have a whole bunch of other egoic stories that we can go find and like delve into and talk about. (laughs) You weren't. I couldn't even (laughs) possibly imagine caring about another life that I might have had. But that's what I mean. Like all of those things are just they're fundamentally missing the spiritual component. Hmm. And I find that it goes so far in either direction where either people completely shirk the spirituality concept and they're like, I'm just magical. I do whatever I want. Those are like Satanist chaos magicians. Like, okay. You know? And then on the other side is like Not monks. to disparage our chaos magicians. Allie friends. knows I'm not talking about her. <laughs> we already had this conversation. Yeah, I know. Um, And on the other far side is like monks who are not, they have no interest in like the actual world. They have no relationships. They live in a fucking temple on a mountain and all they do is meditate. And maybe some of them are ascendant, Mm -hmm. potentially. Some of them are? Ascendant? Masters? Like they have reached samadhi. They are enlightened. Right. Um, And not to disparage that, like that's a very noble pursuit. For the people who do it and sure. who have managed to get to that point. However, obviously not feasible for everyone to do. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> so whenever I am in a situation where I'm seeing a lot of other people who are supposedly of a similar ilk or whatever, <laughs> I'm always looking for the balance. Like who has balance? Hmm. Who isn't just so entrenched in their ego whether that's like look at how much i know about ancient ireland or look at like these intricate crowleyan rituals that i've memorized and also who isn't like nothing exists mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know the people with the balance those are the people i'm looking for those are the people i want to talk to are you of the opinion that everyone can achieve that or balance? is like okay. balance balance and like balance to the 
a like level that they are able to be like to practice some form of divination to be able to like really tap into that intuition yeah I think I think it's possible certainly for everyone I mean some people have more roadblocks to it than others but um, I believe that if it's something that you if, if you're even listening to this in the first place mm-hmm. it's probably easier for you than it is for some other people in the world okay yeah yeah because you've already invited these words into your brain <laughs> <laughs> so that's the you know one step of many we are in there <laughs> our little intuition mind worms are squirming throughout your body yeah okay well then i guess if if you are of the opinion that like anyone is capable of like developing the skill what was a what would be a lesson that you wish you had learned early on lesson that I wish I had learned early on yeah either something that you wish was encouraged more or something that you should avoid or both I guess just like the level that is reachable is something I would have liked to know earlier which I don't know that there was anyone who could have told me necessarily but I mean for example When I first started reading cards and my mom watched me do it and she realized I had a gift for it, Mm -hmm. she made me read for a friend of hers. Um, It was just someone she'd be hanging out with a lot at the time. She's like a realtor friend of hers. And so I read for her and again, I was like a teen. And And she's a grown woman, like she's my mom's age. And I said like, I think there's an issue with your health. Like I think you should get a physical. Mm. Like and again, I was new to the modality. I was new to all of this, but I had that in that sense. She went. She had cancer. Yeah. I mean, she, to my knowledge, last I heard, she's you know in um, remission. Remission. But still, like it was because of what I said that she went and even found out that she had it. Right. And my mom was shocked that that happened, Mm. um, that I was right and that I predicted something so, like, pivotal. And I feel like if she had been, if she had had more experience, if she hadn't turned her back on her practice so early, you know, if she had, like, gotten burned and then realized, oh, I learned something, I'm going to continue to practice instead of just backing out, um, she would have been able to handle that better and be able to tell me, like, yes, you know, you're powerful, but that's okay. You don't need to be afraid of it. These are just the things you need to consider. Whereas what actually happened was I was kind of like little cartoon Hercules with my lightning bolts with like no one supervising me. In Disney's Hercules, he's like sucking on the lightning bolt and then like electrocutes himself. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, like nobody was ever, I mean, (laughs) spiritually and otherwise, nobody was ever checking on me growing up and I was just doing shit. <laughs> so like, I mean, it made me who I am. So would you say you were like lacking humility or like lacking? No, I would almost say the opposite. Like I didn't have a full appreciation for what I was capable of hmm. manifesting. And in some cases I probably, I don't know. Like it's possible that I could have done harm unintentionally just from oh, okay. my my uh ignorance you know mm. and my young age right sure like combination yeah. of both and not really having any any guidance like uh, it's hard to say though because it's nice if you can have a mentor who actually is legit then that's incredibly enriching and super super helpful however unfortunately a lot of people who would advertise themselves as a mentor aren't exploitive motherfuckers you know so like i can't really make the recommendation of go find a mentor because usually weird how that's just kind of like a universality Mm -hmm. just mentors they can be a real bad yeah doesn't matter what discipline what religion it's here's the here's the trump card okay the key if you can't have a mentor if you can't 
go to the store and get a book if you can't do anything else. Just go outside and like look at a, a tree or the <laughs> sky or like a squirrel, whatever is available to you. Touch grass. Yeah, just be there with it. Quiet your mind, like, you know, learn to meditate and then listen. This actually is pretty close to the guidance your mother gave us on her episode. I guess so. I'm her daughter. <laughs> listen to nature, listen to your intuition. Yeah. Obviously, you are a very multidisciplinary witch. You do herbalism, you do yoga, you do cards, tea, and palmistry for readings. And Reiki, yeah. Do you ever read through Reiki? Um, I've done some distance Reiki recently for a client, and I, in doing so did actually have an experience of like being on the astral plane with my querent with another spirit and like very very clear um information from all of that so in a sense yes i guess (laughs) yeah it's i i don't want to be a person who can just read everyone they look at all the time without any type of setting sure um i've been blocking out that for mm. a long time yeah. because I don't want it I'm not interested in having to know everything about every person that I meet it's already bad enough as it is no I've seen it. I've <laughs> seen uh, when you're not interested in knowing your eyes just dart back and forth because mm, I don't want to look into their eyes yeah yeah so I guess given that you are so multidisciplinary is there a recommendation that you would have like in choosing discipline or in like a good place to start a good like base skill to to develop often well i did talk about this on the new youtube channel i did i four steps mm. to becoming a witch video um basically the moral of the story is get a notebook write down what you believe you know consume as much legitimate information as you can And then keep your own notes about it, along with communing with nature itself, keeping your notes about that. Those are the things that are going to structure, you know, your individual belief system. Those are the, you know, it's informed by your own experience. That's a lot of what witchcraft is and has always been, is like an individual path. A witch is not a sheep. They're not being herded by their great shepherd. They're a goat and they will headbutt you and they like, you know, they kind of will go their own way. Mm. So, yeah. I guess that kind of ties in with like the earlier recommendation as to like learn your instinct, to trust in your instinct, to like yeah i mean your own guides they're probably already with you you just don't know about them yet and so the more attention you start to pay the greater relationships you'll have with them and so one great way to develop your intuition or if you're new to the craft and you're interested in it is to um, record your dreams Mm. because when you're dreaming you know you're in the astral realm having experiences you know writing and like experiencing complete stories with characters with symbolism you know with all these you know lessons you may even meet a guide in a dream i've met plenty of my guides that way so a dream journal is pretty indispensable is there something that you could share with our listeners from your grimoire or from your dream journal ideally from your, your grimoire or your journal, yeah. Well, I mean, this is a journal, but every journal I have is a grimoire. Right. Let's see. So the eclipse was really kicking my ass recently, which I'm sure a lot of people can appreciate. I felt like I was buzzing with so much power, but also I was so tired and I like, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, when I finally did the ritual, I felt 
a lot more chill. Like I kind of condensed a lot of that energy down into that experience. Um, which I just took a bath and our bathroom has a window where if you look out the window, you can see this beautiful flowering apple tree. And of course this is the flower moon and it was very, very, it wasn't a grounding experience. It was a very like celestial esoteric experience, Mm. but even just doing that was, it felt like I was putting all this energy that I was just circulating inside of me towards something which then sure you know like (laughs) dispersed it took it off of my shoulders um and in doing this i mean this is very personal to me Mm -hmm. and it was my co-star that actually like gave me this (laughs) quote which turned out to be so true which was the source of your pain is also the source of your power Hmm. And for myself, the source of a lot of my pain is that I didn't have a lot of structure or guidance as a child, you know, and I developed because of that a lot of individuality and maturity early on. Yeah. Um, defiance for authority, <laughs> etc. Um, and those things actually served me later in life a lot of times. Like, yeah. it meant that I, in a lot of scenarios... Seemingly maladaptive practices. That... Seemingly, but in in situation, in conflict situations... Yeah. Where other people did not feel empowered to speak up, it was my wiring to do so. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. It, I am always the person who will be... Who will say... No, what you're doing is not right. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I do expose myself to, you know, repercussions. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's who I am. And it's for the betterment of other people, you know, generally. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, when I worked at Second Cup, they hired me as an assistant manager asking me to take that job because they felt they needed someone who could forge relationships with the regulars yeah um and i was like okay yeah sure i like people like sounds good and then i started working there and i realized every single person who worked there besides me and the owners of the franchise location were either refugees or they were on a work visa or they were like trying to get their canadian citizenship right And they were every one of them being exploited by these white people who just spent a fucking week in Palm Springs, (laughs) just bought a new car, like living the fucking life while stomping all over these incredibly hardworking people of color. And the owners were white. And I was like, this is fucking disgusting Mm -hmm. what you're doing. It's not okay. And I went to each of the workers and tried to explain to them like it's illegal what they're doing you are entitled to your rights like here are the resources you need to look at in order to fix this but none of them wanted to fuck with it because their visa depended on it or their citizenship depended on it exactly and so i was like well i'll do it then because i could not continue to work there knowing that i was upholding this bullshit yeah yeah And so one day, (laughs) I literally marched into the office and was, like, screaming at this franchise owner. (sighs) Because he had just gotten back from Palm Springs. He had just bought himself a new fucking car. And I had just, while they were away, I was working even more managing and talking with all the staff. And I was, like, more horrified than ever. Yeah. So as soon as he came back, I was like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? (laughs) Not actually. I didn't start out screaming. I started out being like you're doing illegal shit, stop Mm -hmm. it. And he was basically like, if you don't like it, you can quit. And I was like, well, no, you're breaking the law. Like, fuck you. (laughs) Anyways, the other manager- It's not your fault this guy sucks. Exactly. The other manager is meanwhile trying to give a new employee the tour of the like facilities. And she's like, oh, here's the barista station. Here's the coffee. She opens the office door. It's just me screaming at the French (laughs) We'll come in there later and just closes the door. (laughs) 
Anyways, I've done that exact thing at like every single time I saw some similar bullshit going down. I'm always the person who's like, no, this is bullshit. Yeah. Which means I'm also always the person who has to then bear the brunt of the reaction from the powers that be. But it's worth it. So I guess you would say broadly you are very like tapped into the experiences of other people. Yeah, but more specifically, I think that the it doesn't need to be empathetic or it doesn't need to be like, oh, my, whatever. Like the Gorgon, I mentioned this before. The example of Athena and Medusa. Hmm. Medusa was the priestess at Athena's temple. Then the temple was sacked, destroyed. Medusa herself was raped. Etc. Sure. And then Athena replied to this situation by turning Medusa into a gorgon, mm-hmm. making it so that anyone who looked upon her visage would turn to stone. Sure. Which effectively did two things. One, nobody can ever rape her again. Two, yep. she can never have any relationships with anyone because she'll turn them into stone. Mm-hmm. And so the source of Medusa's trauma, her being raped at the sacking of the temple also becomes the source of her power in her becoming the Gorgon and being the unstoppable force of protection, right? Yeah. However, that exact power then also becomes her demise later in the story where she's killed and her head is removed and used as like a weapon. Yeah. And so then the source of the power that she developed from the source of her pain becomes like the tool by which she is injured again Mm -hmm. or the reason for which she is injured again. Right. And I think that's like so much speaks to the experience of especially women in existing within patriarchy who have responded to their trauma by becoming even more annoying (laughs) and, you know, going against the grain even more than they did before, becoming even more powerful than they were before that trauma, then they also, you know, the patriarchy goes, okay, well, that's the one we want to get rid of. Right. Now this is the target. It's the power creates the target. Exactly. And yeah. And like, that's the, that's the question I've been struggling with my whole life is like, do I want to continue to bear this mantle and like continue to cause shit and make waves or... Do I want to put my head down so I don't keep getting, like, being the one tall daisy that gets chopped off? Right. But I've come to understand that I'll never not be the tall daisy. It's who I am. There's no getting around it. And I have to just accept that that's the source of my power. And so everybody has the source of their pain. Everybody has their shit. You know, I'm not talking about capital versus lowercase t trauma. Like, everybody has something that made them who they are. Yeah. And whatever it is is not only the source of your pain, but also the source of your power. It's what makes you who you are. So to lean into who you are. Yeah. Like, I mean, self-reflection is so key, right? Like, try to understand what experiences you've had have shaped you to be the way that you are. and Lean in is probably the wrong term. Accept yourself. Yeah, acceptance. Mm -hmm. Be who you is. I mean, always looking at who you were several years ago compared to now is, is a good practice because you're always progressing and it's easy to lose sight of that when you don't think of it in terms of, you know, one year ago, where was I? Or five years ago, where was I? Or even six months ago, where was I compared to now? Yeah. Because it's to recognize that you're moving forward, not exactly. necessarily counting the steps. Invest in the process, but also acknowledge the progress. Gotcha. Well, I think, uh, I don't know. That, that, I think, about covers the important stuff. The last question that I had, and you can answer this or not, what is the funniest experience that you ever had reading? Reading cards, you mean? Like reading for people? Um, Like with definition in general. Like I I think we covered, you know, the the strengths and the challenges that come with it. Yeah. Let's end it light. 
I have a, <laughs> I have a story, I guess. Okay. It's kind of an explanation for why I'm not really a professional reader anymore as like my main um, modality because oh, good. it started to attract a different type of clientele. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you're in a big metropolis like yeah. Calgary, there are a lot of choices for what people want to spend their money on. Sure. You're not in a little town, a beach town, where you can just, you know, you're walking down the farmer's yeah, market, go to a tent. Yeah, it's not the same as breeding in Pedicton. Very different. And the people who do want to sign up and get a tarot card reading or whatever it is, palmistry, tea leaf reading, etc., they are not looking for truth. They are not looking for a true view into their experience. I mean, this is rude to do as a blanket statement, I guess. Like, there's not well, Yeah, I, I thought this was kind of true of I have a, people everywhere. I have a specific story, though. Okay. This one, one client I got, and she said she wanted a love reading for her and, like, another person. Oh, no. So I said, okay. I do the reading. And as soon as I start... But, but hold on, before you hop into this, love readings in general, bad, good? I mean, when you read professionally, everybody wants to know about either love or money. Love or Those money. are the yeah. only things people ask about. So, can't really, like, yeah. <laughs> fault one or the other. They're kind of... Mostly bad. Yeah. Yeah. Again, my point being that people aren't interested in finding out what is the answer to their furthering their spiritual development. All I want to know is, am I going to get married? Am I going to make money? How many grandkids am I going to have? Et cetera, et cetera. Like all kinds of bullshit questions that I'm not fucking interested in answering, honestly. Who cares how many grandkids you're going to have? It's not fucking interesting to anybody, including you. Like you should not be so focused on this. (laughs) Anyway. No, it looks like I drew the who care card. Yeah. This woman wants a love reading for her and this man that she yeah. loves. And as soon as I get all the cards turned over, I look at her. I don't say anything. But she can see by the look on my face that I'm onto the situation. Um. And she starts to blush. And I said, well, how do you know this man? Like, are you sure this is the reading for the person that you want? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> and she says, well, he's married. Oh, and no. And I said, yeah. You know, I thought so, basically. And, and then I was like, but even so, it still feels like there's something off in terms of, like, who it is that you're really wanting the reading about. Like, I'm still kind of feeling, like, some split energy on which m- person it is you're thinking about for this reading. Mm-hmm. She says, yeah, I'm married, too. Yeah, and I was like, okay. And literally she told me at a certain point, because I wasn't giving her what she wanted, and she just told me, I just want you to say, like, I sh- like we're going to be together, like her and this other married man. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to say that because it's not true, first of all. And second of all, you're... Now you signed up with me. You made a mistake. You picked the wrong reader. And now here you are. And I'm going to force you to see the truth. Because <laughs> you're stuck here in this chair now. And you're looking at me. And I'm going to... I mean, the cards are telling it already. Even yeah. if I don't tell you what they mean. But I'm not going to fucking lie to you. Yeah. That's my disclaimer. If you want a tarot card reading from me, be You aware. are going to read the cards. Yeah, I'm not going to fucking lie to you. Yeah. So... Be prepared for that. (laughs) That's why reading in Calgary didn't work so well for me. It was when somebody would just walk into the tent as a one-off at the farmer's market and be like, maybe we'll get a tarot card reading. And then they would like have a dark night of the soul and cry and then like leave and go on their way back to wherever they're from after their vacation. That was like perfect because every single person would come in I'd be like, here's what your shadow is trying to tell you. And then they'd cry, and I'd give them a tissue, and then they would thank me, pay me, tip me, buy a crystal, and leave. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Just going to get you back in the markets. Yeah. Again, Calgary's not like, it's not the same. Like, it's always the same people, right? right, At everything. Mm. It's not like as if it's a tourist crowd, which it was in Penticton. Gotcha. Like, everything's very clicky. 
Well, I think that pretty much covers everything that I wanted to know or that I felt our audience should know. Is there anything else that you would like to... <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Maddie has been very brave. <coughs> she... Brave. The prairie grass and weeds around us for the last week have been trying to kill her. <laughs> and my hay fever is real bad. Yeah. I've lived here my entire life, and so my body is like... I can't process any more of this grass pollen. I'm just going to break down. We made dandelion wine, and I've been giving her local honey. And I tried to jog yesterday, and I almost died. Huge mistake. (laughs) Huge mistake. It's like from Pretty Woman. Big mistake. Huge. (laughs) Except I guess it's like the pollen. She's holding symptoms of like... Itchy yeah. eyes, itchy throat, yeah. stuffed up nose. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I, I think that um, thank you gives yeah. us a very clear overview of who you are, how your practice has been through the years, and what to expect going forward in both our podcast and on Rose Witch YouTube. Rose Witchcraft. Rose Witchcraft. (laughs) So go to witchrosecraft at (laughs) youtube.ca. Right? No. Oh. If you just search Rose Witchcraft as one word on YouTube, you will find my channel. That is Rose Witchcraft, one word. (laughs) Type all of that into your search bar on the YouTubes. No? You can also find the podcast at Sister Luna Podcast at Instagram. And if you want to tell us something, you can email us at sisterlunapodcast at gmail.com. We will be doing a Q&A podcast in the future at some point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have a question, if you have a ghost story, we have a, a guest who I've interviewed recently who uh, upon the completion of that interview was like, but I have a lot more ghost stories to tell you. So we're going to have him on again. And if you have a ghost story, you know, mm-hmm. send it over. Email it. Email? Email. Um, what's the, the, po- the, what's the okay, postal write address? The, write the ghost story on a long scroll, roll it up and tie it to the leg of a messenger pigeon. Yeah. And tell the messenger pigeon. What do you type Sister in? Sister Luna podcast. What do you type onto the messenger pigeon? Sister Luna podcast at gmail.com. That is where your pigeon's going. <laughs> Sister Luna podcast at gmail.com. Also, if you like the podcast, we would appreciate it if you could subscribe, maybe like, you know, if you want, you can write a review. Even if your review says, fuck you. But it's five stars. I still appreciate it. (laughs) Mm. Do whatever hate speech you want, but rate (laughs) us five five stars. stars. Yeah. Yeah. Sister Luna says, The magic is inside of you and outside of you. And remember, the greatest source of your pain is also the source of your power. Blessed be. Bye bye.